get ready to listen, learn, and earn CE hours. This podcast features content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Hello and welcome. I'm Leanna McGuire, your host for this informative podcast on managing foodborne illness brought to you by Elite Learning by Calibri Healthcare. Our subject matter expert today is Kirk Ornstein. He's RN, MSN, and clinical nurse leader, and a guy who's obviously really good at research. Welcome, Kirk. <laughs> How are you? Thank you. Good, good. It's good to be here. <laughs> now, we're, we're going to move on now to uh, Campylobacteriosis. I did not slaughter that, did I? I thought I was going no, to. No, that was good. Not bad. Okay. That was good. All right. Talk to us about that one. Foodborne okay, illness. so so it, it's it's there are eight hundred forty five uh, thousand cases a year, so it's, it's very prevalent. Um, yeah, it's it, it's out there. Um, Eighty four hundred hospitalizations, seventy six deaths. Um, it has this unique feature that it only requires a, a small number of organisms to get you sick. So they say five hundred. Um, organisms can make you sick. So basically a, a single drop of fluid containing it, juice from a chicken can make you sick. Um, but the other side is that you don't get very sick. Um, so uh, the symptoms are much more mild um, than some of the other things we've talked about. Um, you know, that's why you see that the 845,000 cases, but only 76 deaths. Um, so although it's very prevalent, um, symptoms are much more mild and that leads to obviously a, a lot of underreporting. Okay, sure. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, and where is this organism found primarily? Uh, it's, we're still talking about, uh, um, birds. So, so fowl, chicken, things like that. It's, it's going to be there. Um, okay. and that's where you'll find it. Okay. Uh, that so um, cooking, does it apply in this case? Right, a, a cooking. There's only a couple where you're looking at sort of extreme um, temperature issues with some of these these uh, pathogens. Um, but again, like if you're cooking the food, this is going to uh, take care of um, this this pathogen as well. Okay, and is it uh, primarily um, ingested? Is that how you get this, or? Right, it's the oral uh, fecal oral root, um, and so for the most part, you're you're eating it that's been contaminated from, you know, whether it's uh, the juice from the chicken or uh, the feces from a bird. Um, it gets in the system; it's going to make you sick. Um, that's generally how you're getting it. Uh, potentially, you could you could communicate to someone else through sort of oral fecal. Uh, transmission, but again, because the symptoms are mild, um, that's not uh, as as likely as say norovirus, where you know the the symptoms are much more violent, where you're right, throwing up and, right. and projecting these uh, you know the, the the pathogens into the air. That's not the case with this. You don't really see that. And our consistent vulnerable population of pregnant, young, elderly, or immunosuppressed, obviously, are affected 
ease, I shouldn't say obviously, but we've we've already talked how that's consistent across. But would their symptoms, how would their symptoms be different or would they? Well, for, for the uh, immunocompromised, there's a little bit of an issue here that um, it can allow uh, the pathogen to um, enter the bloodstream. Okay. Um, yeah, so that doesn't have the same protection uh, and this can lead to septicemia. Oh, um, dear. Yeah. So, right. So, so with this one, although, again, we're talking about a mild um, pathogen, we get these special populations and you can get very unique um, um, symptom development. Uh, and septicemia, uh, as we know, that, that that goes south very quickly. Mm-hmm. It sure does. And is it more common in one sex than the other? It seems to me I remember hearing that one is more vulnerable. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's uh, more likely to occur in males and females, um, but the reasoning is 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 unknown. There's okay. you know there's some ideas about it, but but again, you you see these differences in men and women, and a lot of times there's they don't know why. Right. Um, if you remove things like pregnancy and things like that, if it's just if, if everyone is equal, if you've matched them all and everything, then it becomes why um, mm. and. They don't really know a lot of that. Okay. Um, yeah. And those signs, signs and symptoms uh, you've already talked about, um, mostly diarrhea. Would you say is that the primary with this one? Or can you go into a little bit more about that? What, what watery diarrhea is, is like okay. everyone else, um, common. But you can see bloody diarrhea with this. Um, and that's partly the reason why it can get into the bloodstream. Um, for the immunocompromised. Um, but unlike some situations where you see bloody diarrhea as a um, an emergency with this uh, particular pathogen, that occurs, but it doesn't mean that um, you're dealing with a severe situation that needs medical attention. But at the same time, um, when you're at home and you're having all this diarrhea and all of a sudden it turns bloody, you have to think that it's it's more significant. Because we, you can't do the diagnosis at home, and that is uh, one of those flags to seek additional uh, medical um, attention. Um, and so you come back, you're like, oh, you're fine. It's it's this it's this pathogen, not that one. Um, but it does have this characteristic of uh, um, bloody um, diarrhea that that isn't the uh, emergency situation that it might suggest. Okay. And can you get a fever with this? Um, yes, okay. <laughs> you can, you can get a fever with it again. It, it leads, it, it's similar to the, the bloody diarrhea. Um, you know, when we see a fever, uh, we get concerned. Um, and in this case you can get a fever anywhere from a hundred, they say a hundred point four, but what that really a hundred point four to a hundred, hundred and four. Um, and so anything above 102, you're looking at um, a real problem. Okay. Um, so that, that's the point at which you're seeking medical attention. Um, and so, again, if, if someone had temperature of 104, I would tell them right away, you need to see somebody. You need to get medical attention. It comes back, oh, you know, it's fine. This is just part of the natural um, symptomology of this pathogen. But you wouldn't know. You have to sure. go check it out. Yeah. And, and, this, and just a, a point to make, Go ahead. when they say 100.4, 100. 
that's your medical definition of a fever. Um, anything less than that is not considered a fever. And so that's that's how they came up with that number, 100.4. Got um, it. It's that definition of a fever. Okay, perfect. Thank you. And this one, is this another one where we're uh, maybe more susceptible in a, a more developed country than those who have been exposed to it more often? Would it be similar? Right. This is okay. Yeah, this is one that's come out of the epidemiolo epidemiological research that uh, indicated uh, other countries have more exposure to it, and so their um, symptoms are not severe as say what we see here. Okay. And are there any other maybe severe symptoms that uh, may occur in uh, less frequency or low frequency? That can, it's right, it, it's a lot less, but you can see um, bacterial endocarditis, reactive mm. arthritis, meningitis. Um, so a, a number of things can occur. Uh, clearly those, those conditions um, warrant medical attention, um, but it's not a common occurrence, but it can occur. Okay, and stool samples is, uh, is most often the way they diagnose, is that correct? Right. And I, yeah, they're, they're always, it's pretty much one of the first steps when you're trying to identify foodborne illness, you're taking stool samples. This is one of those cases where um, antibiotics can be used for uh, a case that doesn't resolve on its own. Okay. Um, okay. But in most cases, they do, it does resolve on its own. Right. right. Okay. And do you have a real life example of, uh, of this one? Uh, there are two interesting ones. Um, so there's a place called, it's uh, Kennedy Creek um, Outbreak. So this is in Montana. Um, it's a campground and people were drinking from a stream. Um, it wasn't a spring, it's just a regular stream. Uh, I can't imagine why they were drinking from a stream, but they were. And uh, yeah, you got uh, a number of people got sick um, from that. Uh, there was recently in New York City an outbreak in Brooklyn, um, and they believe it was related to exposure to um, to raw chicken, and oh. so 50 people got sick there. Um, but that that was uh, this year. This year, since it resolves so quickly, I wouldn't imagine that all cases get reported either. No, exactly. You see this with all of these conditions um, when they have a, a short duration, um, they're not going to get reported, Got it. Um, you know, either. And, and it's kind of interesting to think like you could have these very severe symptoms. Mm -hmm. You would think, oh, you got to go get checked out. But the reality is you're so sick, you're not going anywhere. Right. Um, and so, right. so you've got this sort of thing where you know it could be severe and you're not going to go because you're too sick or it's so short you're not going to go because it's so short right. um, and so these become some of those barriers to um to getting medical care that you just it, it goes by so quick you can't get there or you know you're too sick or it's too short that it all ends up under reporting there's not a single thing that we talk about that um isn't under under reported except for maybe botulism Got it. Because right. this is not, you're not going to have mild symptoms. Right. Exactly. It's the only one that's consistently severe. Okay. The next one um, on, uh, on my list that I wanted to discuss was uh, listeria. Yes. 
serious, that's, uh, not serious? That, that's a serious one. That is a uh, third leading cause of death. Um, wow. Yeah, it, it's, it has this. From food poisoning? Well, it's from food poisoning, but the issue really is that it can survive. It can thrive at 32 degrees. It can survive Ooh. as low as zero. You saw Fahrenheit. So it has the capacity to live inside of a refrigerator and multiply inside of a refrigerator. <sighs> um, so, right. So this is one of those ones where um, when you're talking about temperature, you know, below 40 degrees, it's not going to matter. Um, and, you know, it, it can also survive for years. Uh, there was a report that said that they found this, um, this organism 11 years later in uh, a processing food processing plant Goodness. Um, right so it so and it, because it can live in these environments or these temperatures that you normally think uh this is fine we don't have to worry about pathogens it's you know freezing temperature so why would there be an issue here yeah um but but it's uh yeah so it's a it's a problem um and again this is one of the ones very specific to vulnerable populations um you see it in a lot of times in, in deli, deli meats, mm. um, because it, 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 it can live at these temperatures. It ends up in these meats, um, and the meats end up being obviously sold to individuals and they get it for that. Um, but it, it can be deadly to pregnant women and their, um, their, their babies, their fetuses. Wow. Uh, absolutely. Their estimates of, um, for pregnant women, uh, risk of death 10, 10 to 20 times higher than for other people. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a, it, it's very, it's deadly. Um, what was it? Uh, trying to remember how many cases, I think there's only like 1600 cases a year, but it's one of the leading causes of death. Wow. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a problem. Do we know why pregnant women are more susceptible? Than even the others. No, you know they, they they look at it as just um, and this again this is epidemiological research uh, or data that the changes in their immune system allow uh, um, the pathogen to to travel through the placenta into obviously the baby. Um, now, as far as what exactly is going on there they're not so sure about that um but they end up with what something's called uh, invasive um listeriosis which is different than irregular sort of food poisoning so where um listeria you know its symptoms are going to arise pretty quickly within a couple of days invasive uh, listeriosis can take weeks to months to show symptoms and so for pregnant women, um, there's that issue that they could be incubating this pathogen during long stretches of their pregnancy. Right. Um, they're most vulnerable in the third trimester. And so if someone starts to show symptoms, they will, they will be tested and treated for it. Um, and in this case, you're getting treated with uh, intravenous uh, antibiotics. Um, but uh, it is uh, can be devastating for pregnancies, pregnant women. Right. So um, vulnerable, the pregnancy itself, they could, uh, could they lose the baby 
and survive themselves. Oh, wow. That's, that's devastating. All right. Wow. That's, that's crazy. So symptoms related to this, uh, you talked about, uh, initial symptoms and then potential symptoms later. So what, what would we watch for? Well, you know, in the, in the non-invasive form, you're looking at the same sort of GI issues that you see before. Um, you know, so, you know, you're, you're looking at the same symptoms, you're dealing with the same way, um, not much changes, but with, uh, the invasive, um, you're looking at different things. You're looking at fevers, um, for the invasive, you're really looking at a fever on top of the GI, but the GI symptoms in, in the, the invasive cases, um, aren't really the issue, um, because there's that incubation period of weeks to months. Um, and so it's hard to distinguish between it's a pregnant woman gets a fever. What does that mean? Right. Um, you know, how do you link it back to uh, eating deli meats? Um, sure. And so that adds to the issue of uh, inability to treat. Right. Because you can't make that connection. And then as this progresses, obviously the danger to the mother and the fetus just becomes exponential. Right. Um, and yeah, it's it, it can be a, a real difficult situation. Possibility of septicemia at that point? Yeah, well, you know, that's the whole thing. Once it's inside, so it's invasive. Again, it goes back to the idea of once it gets out of the GI tract, um, you got septicemia, you could have uh, um, all these other sort of deadly, deadly conditions um, that, you know, just you're yeah, just going to die from. Right. I mean, it's, 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 yeah, that was one of the bad ones. So is this one related to chicken again? Is that our main concern or? Um... No, not so much chicken. It's, it, it becomes, like I said, the, the deli meats. All right, um, it, deli meats. It becomes these processed foods that are refrigerated, but because of the nature of its ability to withstand cold temperatures, um, it just stays there. Uh, one of the problems with this is the, the issue of cross-contamination. Um, because it can survive for such long periods of time, it can contaminate everything in the environment or the surrounding environment. Um, hmm. So when you're talking about a deli meat, anything in that sort of refrigerator uh, can become uh, contaminated um, because there's nothing there to kill it. It's sitting there for days, weeks, months, years. Um, and so that's that's the big issue with that. Um and it's interesting that it's it's deli meats because it's not something you really think about. Um, but the reality is that it's it's one of the main sources. Um, and so one of the interesting things about this is that one of the um, protective measures is to heat any food you get from a deli to 165 degrees. Right? Wow. Especially for immunocompromised vulnerable groups. Um, but that also includes like cheeses. Oh, so I'm wondering okay. myself, what does cheese look like when you <laughs> heat it to 165 degrees? So, yeah. so this is one of the things where, where I'm thinking like, well, you got to take all these precautions, but then some of them just become like a little weird. I mean, yeah, you got to do it, but then what are you doing? You know? Yeah. So that's when you're like, just don't eat it. Just don't eat, don't yeah, go to the yeah. deli. Don't eat deli meat. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, yeah. so. But, but right. So it, it's, it's a, it's a tough situation. Um, 
but uh and there there are outbreaks all the time there's actually one going on right now really um yeah it's actually ongoing right now uh six states 16 people 13 hospitalized and one death and the one death was a pregnant woman oh oh that's so, so heartbreaking uh, yeah so that that was an outbreak that occurred from i guess april of 2021 to um september 2022 wow um, and and they still can't identify the source because of this issue of cross-contamination um so many things get contaminated by this that the source itself gets lost um, oh wow that's that's devastating um and, and treatment and prevention, just quickly, uh, obviously, well, you're saying don't go to the deli. That applies, obviously, or maybe maybe it's not so obvious to those who are more vulnerable. Right. Well, this this one is is very particular as far as it's uh, um, the, the vulnerable population and uh, the virulence uh, is really specific to those populations. Um, but at the same time, you know, people can still get sick from it. Uh, and so. So, I, I, you know, I, I often look at the deli and think, well, should I really get something here? Um, you know, but you have the thing with not a lot of people get it, even though it's it's, uh, um, you know, can be deadly. So you're kind of taking these chances, but it's sort of the case with all this stuff. You're sort of balancing that risk, risk reward kind of thing. Um, but uh, but that is one that. Um, the CDC local health departments are always on a lookout for because it's it's so deadly. And the the meat that you ask them to slice at the deli, and then there's the packaged deli meat that comes, you know, from whomever that's on a in a freezer or in a uh, cold area. Same issue. The general, uh, yeah, same issue, slightly different. So. Uh, in the, the sort of packaged meats that you get that are already already prepackaged came right from the processing, so they're they're not real. They're not going to. There's not the issue of cross contamination. Okay. Um, so it's inside the package. Uh, once it's open, it, it you can have that cross contamination. Whereas the meats in a deli that they're slicing, that environment itself is contaminated. Okay. So even if that meat initially comes in as free of any sort of pathogen, put it inside that that deli refrigerator, and all of a sudden it's it can be contaminated. Okay, got it, got it. Wow, that's that's interesting stuff. So another one that uh, I'll probably not say this correctly: Clostridium mm-hmm. perfringens. Is that right? Perfung perfungin perfungin. Okay. Between the two of us, we've got it. Yeah. <laughs> Another bacteria. So there's foodborne illness related with this too. Yep. Yep. So, all right. So this is one of the leading causes of uh, uh, gastroenteritis. A um, little less than a million cases a year. Uh, you know, you've got uh, more than 400 hospitalizations, wow. more than 70 deaths. Um, and so nice. this one is a, is a rapid onset. Um short duration type of uh, um, pathogen. Um, watery diarrhea, rarely is hospitalization needed. Again, we're looking at um, you know, uh, dehydration as your main concern. Um, it is also one of these that uh, has 
high temperature range um, tolerance. Okay. And so, so it is very comfortable in that 40 to 140 um, degree range. Um, so, hmm. so it's, it's, so it can withstand these temperatures. Now, one of the things that is unique about this is that it replicates very quickly. Okay. One of the implications of that is that you will see it in large gatherings. So this is the one when everyone goes to the community cookout and they all get sick. This is the one. Okay. Um, so, you know, so, so for this, it's very much about um, maintaining proper, te proper temperatures for foods that you're serving. Um, but it is the one that will be the, like the community gathering where there, everyone's getting sick from it. Um, because it does replicate so quickly that even though you think the food has been cooled or, or hasn't been out that long, it doesn't take that much time because it, uh, it does replicate so quick. Okay. So the guy who orders his steak rare at the cookout, is that more vulnerable then? Well, that's interesting. The, the steak's different. Um, so uh, when you're talking about a steak, uh, you can actually cook it at a much lower temperature. Okay. Um, it was 145. Uh, what this is, is that it's when um, foods are mixed together. So it's going to be in salads. Mm, it's going to be mm -hmm. uh, in those type of foods. Um, a steak itself uh, is often, well, meat's often associated with a, um, E. coli, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's in the gut. Um, when you have ground beef, and we're a little off topic right now, but when you have ground beef, that's getting ground up with all the other sort of material. and um, that sort of material inside the GI tract will get into this meat and contaminate it. Got it. Whereas a steak, you can get that sort of uh, pathogen on the steak, but it's not in the steak. Okay. And so basically you can cook the surface of it, which will kill off any of those pathogens, but generally there's not something in the steak. So steaks can be generally cooked at a lower temperature. So that, that I, I don't know if super rare is going to do it, Okay. Um, but, but, you know, having a medium rare steak, isn't the problem that say a medium rare hamburger has. Okay. I got it. Perfect. That explains it really well. Thank you for that. Um, treatment and prevention. Yeah. This, you know, as the other ones, this is just like, um, supportive care. So it's fluid loss. Um, and again, this is one of those ones where, uh, antibiotics shouldn't be given, um, because it can create environments that allow further growth. Um, okay. So, but it, it, yeah, it continues to be that same process. It's also because of the way it is, it's um, highly un underreported. Um, so the true extent of the number of people who get sick could be much higher. Right, right. But again, we, there's no way to really know. So you mentioned E. coli. How about we go there next? Oh, there we are. <laughs> and we all have this, okay. right? This is another thing that we. Right. So this is one of. Right. Very common part of our natural flora inside, inside our system, inside our body. Generally never really causes a problem. Um, but, you know, it's. It, but certain strains, because there are numerous strains of E. coli. Certain strains can cause uh, illnesses. Um, generally, this is when we think about. Um, traveling, this is the one they think of traveler's diarrhea. Okay. This is the one you're going to get um, when you're traveling or 
when people get sick from traveling, it's usually this is the source. Okay. Um, so, but again, you know, these are uh, situations where you're really dealing with uh, best supportive care, hydration, and, it, you know, it passes. Um, there is a particular strain uh, of E. coli o- o- 0157, which is, can be very, very damaging to the body. Um, basically, this one can cause uh, hemolytic uremic syndrome. So basically, wow. it causes inflammation of inflammation damage to the blood vessels to the kidney. So you can end up with kidney damage. You can end up with kidney failure um, because of the damage to the blood vessels. You can end up with clots, um, throwing clots, and all the issues related to um, um, clots and you know heart conditions, um, strokes, things like that. And so uh, that particular strain um, can be extremely deadly for anyone who comes in contact with it. Uh, this is another one of those that uh, states and the CDC are always looking out for because sure. it can be so damaging. And um, what is the source of E. coli? And would it be different for, for the um, 0157 than it would be for just regular E. coli? Now, the, the sources are the same. Um, you know, it's really that there are a number of strains that just naturally occur in in our gut, in animal guts. Um, and so it's, it's a little bit of luck of the draw, what you're going to get. Um, you know, in this case, what you see with the uh, 0157 uh, is heavy diarrhea for the first day, um, and then it turns into bloody diarrhea. Okay. Uh, and so this is the case where you see bloody diarrhea, you got something more than just your basic E. coli infection. Sure. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's when you're starting to see, uh, this problem where, um, the bacteria is now getting outside the gut and it's infecting other parts in this case, uh, the kidneys. Okay. And is the onset, uh, is it a slow onset or does it happen pretty quickly with E. coli? No, this is one that happens quick. This is a couple okay. of hours and you're starting to have severe diarrhea. Um, okay. you know, there, there's no, there's no mistaking being sick. It comes and comes quick. Okay. Got it. Boy, that is interesting. Um, so real life scenario, do you have a real life scenario for E. coli? Uh, yeah, there's so, there's, <laughs> so this is one of the ones where, uh, it's actually, um, salad. Uh, so there's the power, power greens package salads outbreak. So it was, um, um 10 cases, four hospitalizations, uh, one death. Um, the interesting thing about this, and it, it sort of illustrates a, a fundamental problem with, with foodborne illness, uh, illnesses in general, is that this is prepackaged food, so it has multiple ingredients coming from multiple sources. Right. And so the ability to actually figure out what, which part of that salad was the cause oh, becomes yeah. very, very difficult. Um, and so, you know, tracking back this, this, uh, um, where the infection started, uh, as a slow process. Um, and in this case, by the time they figured it out, the, the outbreak was already over. 
um, all the product was sold. There was nothing left. And so, again, it's one of these situations where they figured out what it was, but it didn't matter anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I know with some of these, as we've gone through them, antibiotics are helpful for some and not for others. What about this one? So two things about this. Uh, one, you want to know about um, taking antidiarrheals. So in this mm. case, you don't want to do that because it basically stops your body from um, eliminating uh, the, the pathogen. And so, you know, you don't want to have the antidiarrhea. Um, and, um, and antibiotics, again, are not, are not uh, beneficial. Okay. Um, you know, because they can have the effect, uh, a negative effect upon uh, um, the hemolytic uh, uremic syndrome. It can make it worse. Okay. Um, so, again, most of these times they're going to let your body work it out on its own. And generally in the most severe cases, will they actually use them? And that is not universal because we've seen there are a number of different pathogens where uh, antibiotics can make things worse, whether it's um, causing the toxin or the bacteria to break open, spilling out more toxins or eliminating natural flora so that the, that particular organism doesn't have anything to compete with. Um, and so it can really just flourish. Um, so generally that's, you know, antibiotics are really not used. Wow. Okay. Got it. And it's exciting to continue this conversation. Uh, learned so much so far. Let's move on now and we'll talk about vibriosis. Am I saying that right? Perfect. Good. Perfect. All right. So uh, vibriosis, uh, it's, um, it's in uh, uncooked shell shellfish, um, oh. especially oysters. Um, so this likes to grow in brackish water. It's water that's uh, um, seawater and freshwater mixed together. Um, that's the environment that it grows in. Um, and uh, CDC estimates are about 80,000 cases a year, uh, 500 hospitalizations, 100 deaths. Um, so, you know, so it shows up, obviously, the same when we eat raw shellfish. That's what we're always thinking. Um, there are a couple different... Uh, strains uh, of vibriosis. Um, you know, the, the one that uh, we talk about the most um, or the one that's the most vulnerable is uh, uh, the vibriosis vulnificus. Um, so this one isn't very common, but it is deadly. Oh. Um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, like I said, not a lot of cases, but the fatality rate is 35%. Um, Goodness. Right. So normally, yeah, normally when you get uh, vibriosis, we're dealing with the mild strain. Um, this is going to be just like a lot of other things. Uh, you're going to have your diarrhea, um, stomach pains, uh, cramping, um, and generally it uh, uh, re re resolves on its own. Um, but uh, you know, like I said, there is the other most uh, vibriosis, uh, vulnificus. 35% um, uh, fatality. And then there's also uh, Vibrio uh, cholerae, which is cholera. Now, um, that one's really interesting in that uh, it causes you to lose huge amounts of fluid. Um, you can lose up to, in this case, uh, a liter of fluid an hour. Um, 
right? So that, that when we hear about cholera, it's generally in, you know, we don't have it here. It's not really an issue here. It's development, uh, developing countries, um, but it can be uh, deadly because of the fluid loss. Um, and obviously, you know, all things associated with that, whether it's cardiac conditions or, um, you know, mental, uh, mental disturbances. Um, sure. This deadliest one, are they all from raw oysters or? They're all existing in that, that environment, that, uh, uh, shellfish oysters uh, environment. Um, and so you can come in contact with that, obviously by eating those those type of foods. Um, but they're they're living side by side as far as um, they're concerned. Um, wow! So you can eat it. You can also get it through wounds. So if you're in the water um, and you have a cut in your leg, you can get it that way as well. Um, and with the uh, uh, the briosis vulnificus, um, often that results in amputation. Because Goodness. it is so aggressive um, that it will cause uh, sepsis, um, severe damage very quickly. Um, so that is obviously one that you should avoid at all cost. Uh, it's also sometimes referred to as a flesh-eating disease, a flesh-eating okay. um, bacteria. So when you hear that, um, there are a number of ones, but it can be this this one as well. Goodness. Okay. Um, so the oysters get infected from the water and then we ingest the oysters or we're in the water and the wound, um, we get it in through the wound. Um, right. so salt water only obviously is my assumption because it's just the oysters or anything else from seawater that we can get sick from, or it's just primarily those. oysters. Well, that's, that's the, yeah, you know, it's, it's those shellfish, but, but Shell. to your point, um, it, it doesn't actually survive in fresh water, uh, which actually has uh, certain things or conditions that are helpful to us. So it doesn't end up with this oral fecal root um, because, it, you know, we don't have salt water in our body. I mean, there's some salt in it, but it's not really going to survive in that environment. Um, it's not nearly as hardy as some of the others. So mm. it's susceptible to acidity and freezing and cooking um, and, you know, a lot of uh general um, cleaning products, uh, disinfectants, bleach, alcohol. Hmm. Um, so it can be managed as long as, you know, you're not eating raw, raw shellfish. Uh, and I know I've had oysters, raw oysters, and I've never had a problem with it. But the reality is you never know what you're getting. Um, right. So, you know, so anything raw is, is, is problematic. Boy, so it's interesting that we have the knowledge, but we still continue to have places that serve things like Roy Oysters. That's, yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that is interesting. Uh, kind of take your chances. Uh, so mm -hmm. they have, you have the onset of the diarrhea, vomiting, all of that same stuff. And, and the treatment then would be the same fluids. Yeah, it, yep. Yep. There's, you're dealing with best supportive care. Um, and sort of managing it that way, um, just like many of the other pathogens that we've been talking about. And the symptoms, do they show up pretty quickly for this one? Um, with the, they show up, yeah, it's, they show up pretty within a couple hours. Um, so the vulnificus takes a little longer, um, but, uh, you know, that could be a day, um, two, but, uh, um, 
but they show up not as quick as say the some of the others we talked about where it's like a couple hours. But sure, uh, yeah. Wow, that is really interesting. Um, do you have a, a a real life scenario for this one? Uh, yeah, actually, yes. Um, so this is kind of kind of sad. So Hurricane Ian, uh-huh. um, it uh, it brings in obviously all this salt water into uh-huh. um, into the land, uh, and with it bring all these uh, uh this, these pathogens. Um, and so in this particular case. Vibrio vulnificus, um, they were calling it a flesh-eating disease. They didn't really name it as what it is, um, but 65 cases, 11 deaths, um, all through open wounds. Wow. So is this just living in in seawater all the time, and it just depends yeah. on... Okay, interesting. Yeah, um, well, did- you know, it's... It, it's it's sort of um, collecting within these shellfish, but th- that's sort of the situation with all of these. That these are other than some of the ones to talk about li- living our skin, um, they're endemic in the world. They're living in the soil. They're living in things. It is just around. It's it's uh, right, right. You know the um, the hosts are uh, varied and numerous, and uh, um, you try to avoid them the best you can. Wow. Okay. Um, and, uh, so prevention, well, you know, I was just going to say, don't eat raw oysters, but uh, you're always taking a risk swimming anytime with an open wound. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. that's pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Regardless. Absolutely. You know, you don't, people don't really think about that much because like, Oh, it's salt water and salt's supposed to be good for the wounds and things like that. But, um, and it's what I used to think. I'm like, Oh, it'll clean out. It'll be good. But yeah. the reality is that it's just another access point for um, um, pathogens to get in. And it doesn't have to be a big wound. Like we're not talking, you know, a recent incision or something. It could be no, anything. Just, yeah, just Paper a cut. cut or just yeah. a cut. Just a cut. Okay. Yeah. All right. Wow, that's, uh, that's interesting. Um, so let's, uh, for example, let's talk about um, the bacteria, the typical start of symptoms with bacteria with some of these that we've discussed so far. Well, you know, we, the we just talked about the vibrio, and I want to just look at that one a little bit. So the sure um, the vibrio that uh, is is not as virulent. You'll see symptoms within a couple hours, ninety six hours. Um, you know, you'll see uh, watery diarrhea, cramping, vomiting, like you normally would, and and sometimes fever, and it, and it resolves two to five days. Um, but the vibrio vulnificus, that's a longer duration onset. So that's not going to come on for one day to seven days. Um, and part that's partly the problem with uh, how virulent it is. So it, it, it's not showing up to much later, but when it does show up, the infection is much more advanced. Um, and so you're, so you sort of see that severity um, related to that uh, um, incubation period um, where uh, the more general benign uh, vibrios is rapid sort of onset. And then, um, you know, two to five days later, you're, you're done with it. But again, both of those problems, like both of those are, are best supportive care kind of thing. You're managing symptoms. Um, and with the uh, uh, vulnificus, it's, it, it becomes a real problem where death and amputation and things like that are occurring. Right. Wow. 
Um, so just to kind of summarize on some of these, uh, so the Campylobacter is uh, for start of symptoms is two to five days, just to kind of do a recap, real quick yep. e recap. E. coli is three to four days, correct? Uh, list, yeah, list it's, more or less. E. coli is really, it's, it's one to three. Um, but again, there's ranges to this. If you actually look at the literature, um, you will see lots of different numbers. Um, because they can vary, it can vary based on the the amount of organism that you are infected with. Um, but but you're really looking at like which ones are the rapid onset ones, which ones are more delayed. Um, so that's sort of how uh, you know better way to think about it. Um, yeah. Okay. That's I like that better. So the ones that that uh, take longer would be just so we have them in our head. The most of them come on within. Uh, you know, the first few days, but there are some that take longer, correct? Like salmonella right. can be later. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, um, say, so, and things like, uh, um, you know, the, the perfringens is going to be eight hours, 16 hours kind of thing. Um, botulism is a rapid onset. Um, you know, sure. E. coli slower, uh, listeria can be a rapid onset. Um, you know, nine hours, 48 hours. Um, but again, that one also has the invasive form, which isn't going to show up for two weeks to six weeks. Um, you know, norovirus, rapid onset, um, right. anywhere from 12 hours. Uh, Salmonella, rapid onset. Um, you know, so all of these, and again, they, they tend to have um, shorter duration as well. Got it. Um, so for the most part, they're coming, they're going to be brutal. Um, and then they're going to pass. And that's sort of the case, sort of the, the rapid onset equates with uh, the severity of the initial um, symptoms. So when they're coming on quick, they're coming on like gangbusters, and then uh, they're going away. Got it. Okay, got it. Thank you so much, Kirk. I can't thank you enough. I enjoyed this conversation. And like I said, some of this I knew and some of it was a big surprise. And I know that's probably the case for a lot of our listeners. So thank you for your expertise. Very welcome. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to our podcast series on managing foodborne illness. We encourage you to explore all of the many courses available on EliteLearning.com as you move forward throughout your career. This is Leanna McGuire for Elite Learning by Calibri Healthcare. This podcast featured content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Take your learning to the next level by subscribing to more podcasts on compelling healthcare topics.